How is everybody? Um, you guys were probably wondering what happened to me, whether I even came to church here anymore. Because I, I wasn't here last week, I didn't preach the week before. I don't know. We, we, I was in Washington, D.C. Um, we we did, on, did a night tour of all of the uh, national monuments because we were busy during the day, and so we were up until, like, touring. I don't know if you've ever been to the Lincoln Memorial at 1030 at night. It is beautiful, and also there's less people there. So that's the way to do it. Um, it was it was awesome. We uh, I got to be there. Uh, Joy Qualls, um, who speaks here from time to time, was presenting her her uh, book at the Society for Pentecostal Studies, and so that's what we were out there for. And it was just a really awesome experience. Um, huge reception for her. Like she had like almost a minute long standing ovation at the end of the presentation at an academic uh, society, which is, that's not typically how those things go. Usually people argue with you about your paper. They don't give you a standing ovation. Um, so it was really awesome. I was really grateful to be there for that, um, be a part of that. So thank you for letting me go. Um, and so, so this, this last week, um, we, I did something. Not not last week while I was in Washington D.C. Coming back after eating all of the crab cakes that I ate while I was there, I decided it was well. Actually, I didn't decide. It was decided for me that it was time to go back to the gym. <laughs> it was decided. You be quiet, Charlie. Now, I don't want to hear your commentary about why you think I need to go to the gym. It's, it's evident. Uh, it's clear as day. It's clear as day. Um, so I went back to the gym this last week. On Friday, we went to the gym, me and my gym partner, who will remain nameless throughout this story because it was not so good of a day for them. So we, we were there and we, you know, we did our cardio and then it was time to do, for some reason they had us do like 48 different kinds of push-ups. Um, and then we had to do like lunges and then dumbbell squats. And then somewhere in the middle of that, I looked over at my, my gym partner and he was sitting on a bench, which was not part of one of the workouts. <laughs> and... He was as white as a sheet, and he did not look so good. And so the next thing I know, I thought he was getting up to do his next set of mountain climbers, but he wasn't. He was getting his up to go, do his next set of running to the bathroom to throw up. And, and sometimes you have days like that at the gym, whether, whether you are running, you know, if you've ever gotten out there and haven't run for a while and then you push yourself too hard and, and you just don't feel good. But the good news for me, so the good news for me was that he told me later that it was, it was just I worked, I did mountain climbers too hard and that's why I threw up because I was concerned it was because he was sick. And 
if that was the case, I my problem is that when someone else around me throw, throws up because they're sick, I'm pretty sure I'm next. Forever. I I real and I like I have this like overwhelming fear and anxiety that I'm next. Like I'm I just know it. And so it was a relief to me when he told me that he had five guys later that day uh that it was just gym sickness, not not actual sickness. I think I think we all have been through experiences where wh- whether whether it's, you know, going through college. I know when I went through Bible college with starting out with two kids and working full time and all of that, there were times where I just, I wanted to be done. I wanted to quit. I wanted to walk away. I think we've all been through experiences in life where we wanted to tap out. We wanted it to be over. We wanted to walk away. We wanted to give up. Or we have given up been through that been through things like that seasons like that where you just like it's you're 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 thinking to yourself it's just too hard it's just too difficult it's too much i can't take another minute of this i think those are really difficult seasons to walk through when we're trying to walk through those and be faithful to what God has called us to. Those are really difficult seasons because we ask a lot of why questions, right? We ask a lot of why questions, like why is this happening? Why me? Why now? The hard thing is, is that those why questions, there's not a lot of great answers for they're really difficult, and they really challenge us. They really make us wonder, where is God in the middle of all of this? Now, we have been in this series uh, for a couple weeks, or a few weeks now. Um, this is now the fifth week of this series. Um, and we've walked through the wilderness. We've walked through um, all kinds of different things, um, This week we're going to be looking at a passage in the book of James. Um, But the book of James is one of my favorite books in the New Testament. It's one of my favorite epistles. It's a letter that was written by the Apostle James. And there has been speculation about which James, because when you read through the New Testament, you hear the name James quite a bit. And so there has been speculation on which James that we're talking about. And so you kind of got to do a little piecing together to figure it out. So when you're reading through the book of Acts, you find out that one of the Jameses is killed in Acts chapter 12. So it's probably not that one. And then, but then when you read through the Gospels, you read that there's a passage in the Gospels where the... Mary, uh, Jesus' mother and his brothers are outside of where he, wherever he's meeting, and they're like, come out, Jesus, we're going to talk some sense into you. And Jesus' response is, who is my mother? Who is my brothers? So originally, like, the brother of Jesus, James, didn't even really, like, he didn't start out as a Jesus follower. 
But the interesting thing is, is that somewhere along the lines after Jesus' death and resurrection, like the brother of Jesus became a, a sold out, bona fide, real time believer. Um, which is like, I have brothers and I, I know that like the people who are most skeptical of you and the people who are most skeptical about what you can do, the people who are going to like call you on your stuff the fastest are your brothers. And so like, it's no surprise to me that, that James sitting back and listening to Jesus was like, okay, I, I grew up with this guy. Like, I, there's no way, like, he's just talking crazy. But, but somewhere along the way, James gets it. He sees what everybody else is seeing. And then later on, so around AD 60, this huge persecution started arising in the area. And there, it started arising um, really primarily because the, the Jewish people wanted their freedom, and so they started rebelling against Rome, which, I don't know if you know this, but Rome is not a little country. And not only that, they are, they don't, they, they have a certain way with diplomacy. And it's the, at the end of a sword. And so when, when, when they start rebelling, like, it creates a huge amount of persecution, not just for Christians, but for Jewish people in general. And then on top of that, Jewish Christians were an anomaly in, in, in among the, the Jewish people uh, they, because they, didn't, they, they wouldn't bow to Caesar. They wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't have uh, anything to do with what was going on. And so like the Jewish Christians are, are persecuted very strongly. Now, interestingly, James, so the writing of this likely happens after the death of Peter. And so James has become like the patriarch of the Jewish church. He becomes the, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And so it makes sense that he would write a letter to the people throughout the, the first century world who are Jewish Christians, who are struggling, who are going through persecution. So it makes sense that he would be concerned about their faith and their well-being. And so there are certain things that are really interesting about the book of James because James writes with a very Jewish perspective. And so some of the ways that we, he talks about things are very different than the way, say, Paul would talk about them. Because Paul was contextualizing the gospel to primarily Gentiles, primarily Roman and Hellenistic Greek Christians. And so, let's jump in. We're actually going to look at James chapter 1. And we're going to start with, okay, now hear me out on this. James chapter 1 verse 2 on the surface sounds ridiculous. It does. You don't believe me.
James chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. So before this, James introduces himself. He doesn't, he doesn't, he's not like Paul. Paul would like have a chapter long introduction. James is like half a verse. But he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. What? Consider it joy when you face trials? What? James, you're, you're crazy. That's not what you do when you face trials. You yell. You cuss. You throw things. You punch holes in the wall. You get mad. Consider it pure joy. You're doing it wrong, James. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. The testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, it would be easy for us to read this passage and, and start to use this to answer some why questions. But don't be too quick. Like, why is this happening to me? Why do bad things happen to good people? This passage does not answer that question. This book does not answer that question. Largely, the Bible does not answer that question. I think we want those questions answered because we want to know why. We, we want to reconcile some why questions in our minds, and the problem is, is that the Bible doesn't answer those questions because it's not asking those questions. Because it's written to and for people who weren't asking those questions. Now, here's the thing. Because of where James was writing this to, James was writing this letter to people who were enduring intense persecution. They were literally being killed for their faith. He wasn't writing this to people who, they they were experiencing real persecution, real opposition. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith, what we want to read into this is that God causes the testing. God causes our pain. God causes this, and as a result of him causing this, he's using this cause to test us. If we're not careful, and we follow that line of reasoning down the the, the path, we'll end up at heresy pretty quick. What What James is not saying is that God is causing this. He's making it pretty clear that the pain, the suffering, is coming from an external source. The pain is coming from, in this case, persecution. But it could very likely be be coming from an area where, like, this is based on choices that that these believers made. I mean, I, I think we've all, we can all relate to that. We've all made choices that have caused us pain, right? We've all, we've all made dumb decisions. 
Not, not Patty. Patty's never made dumb decisions. <laughs> so let's, let's look at this. So the, the word that's translated here as perseverance or steadfastness, some transla- translations say, is hypo- hypomone. And it can refer to the act of endurance or the temperament of endurance. So, so the, it, this testing of your faith that produces perseverance, this word can either be translated to mean uh, the act of endurance or the temperament of endurance. In the New Testament, it is usually referred to unswerving constancy in faith in spite of trials and temptations. So James is not talking about passive patience. Think about that for a second. James is not calling you or the first century believers to passive perseverance. Like this isn't something that's happening to them and they, you know, the response is, okay, just let it happen. Let it, you know, let, let it happen. Passive perseverance. James is talking about active perseverance. But the temperament by which one endures and prevails, the idea is that of the refined and tempered strengthened faith that results from going through trials not around them. So what we want, what we typically like to do is we like to go around difficulty. We like to avoid that pothole. We like to, you know... I mean, how, how many of you have ever used Waze? Um, Waze is a, a navigation tool that you can download on your phone, and it is a social uh, navigation tool in that when you go through congestion, you can actually tell the device that you're going through congestion, and it'll warn people who are behind you to go a different way. I think... A lot of times what we want is we want to avoid the red traffic marks. <laughs> but there's something about in life and in faith when we, instead of avoiding the difficulty, we stay in that place. What does that mean? I, I think... For the early believers and for us, what that ultimately means is that it would be easier to say, you know what, forget it. I don't need, I don't need this faith. I don't, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna live uh, my life as a, a non-believer because it, it, that would be way easier. I'll go around instead of through the difficulty. So this, this section right here could be more, more expanded by this translation. It says, count it as utter or supreme cause for rejoicing when you fall into various trials, knowing that the means of testing your faith results in steadfastness or staying power. 
But let steadfastness come to its culmination, a perfect work, or let it have its complete effect, so that you will be perfect and holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, complete, not lacking anything. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, and not lacking anything. The problem is, is that we don't, we, we don't lack. We, we, we do lack. We do come up short. Like, I mean, that's why we want to quit. And I think the really cool thing right here is that James goes on and says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Have you ever lacked wisdom this week, this morning? So really interesting thing is the way throughout this letter that James uses the word wisdom. The Greek word that's translated here is Sophia. It's it's the root word of that you that you break down philosophy that that in part Sophia is wisdom. Now the interesting thing is is that James uses the word wisdom very similarly to how Paul uses the word pneuma, which is the word that's translated as spirit. The word literally means breath. So when Paul says, or when James says, you, if any of you lacks wisdom, like he personifies wisdom. Like it's not just knowledge that we need. It's not just information. Paul's not talking about like, or James is not talking about if you, any of you lacks the information that you need to accomplish going through these trials. It's not informational deficiency that keeps us from being able to walk through it. The thing that James is offering the thing that James is telling us that God offers is not just wisdom. It's not just informational. God is offering his spirit. So if we read this a different way, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. Maybe a better way is if any of you lacks the spirit of God, you should ask. If we learn anything from the book of Acts is that God pours out his spirit. And it's, it's actually God's spirit that carries and gives strength in times of difficulty. So if any of you lacks the spirit, if, you, if you're going through difficult things right now, if you're going through challenging things right now, just ask. You, and you're saying to yourself, God, I can't do this on my own. I can't do it on my own. It's not informational clarity that God offers 
It's his spirit. Then he goes into this, this conversation about, about doubt. I think if we're not careful, we'll read this passage and we'll think that somehow, all of a sudden, us having faith is a thing that we do. Like, we have to try hard enough to have faith. Like, he says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Let's read this in the message. Eugene Peterson puts it this way. He says, if you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. He loves to help. You'll get his help. And you won't be condescended to when you ask for it. Ask boldly, believingly, without a second thought. People who worry their prayers are like wind-whipped waves. Don't think you're going to get anything from the master uh, that way, adrift at sea, keeping all of your options open, which is, I, I think, I love that last section. Because I think that's what we do. We, we, we go through these difficulties. We're like, God, we, I need your help. But we're always like, we always are peeking out of the corner of our eye looking for another option. We're looking for something else. What God is calling us to in this verse in difficult seasons is to put all of our eggs in one basket. To put all of our faith into one basket. Like we want, we want to be the kind of people who, like we diversify or investment, which is a good thing to do if you're talking about the stock market. But it's not a good thing to do when we're talking about our faith and trust in God. We want to we wanna have this peak, peeking out of the corner of our eye, looking for another option. We talked a couple weeks ago about the book of Job. There's a passage in the book of Job that says, though he slay me, still I trust him. Though he slay me, still I trust him. We want to keep our options open. We want to see if there's a, a, a thing that looks better than the difficulty that we're going through right now. He ends on this, this section. He says, blessed is the one who perseveres. And I don't know... Not all of you were here when we did the this series called Shine, but the, the, it was a series that talked about the Beatitudes of the Sermon on the Mount. And the very the, the word, the, this word right here, is the exact same word that Jesus used for blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the... That's the same word. It's the Greek word makarios, and it doesn't mean, like, happy are the poor in spirit. Paul, James is not saying, 
Happy is the one who perseveres. That's not a good translation. Warm and fuzzy is the one who goes through trials. The Greek word makarios is better translated. The, the, sorry, it's in here. Content, balanced, harmonious, fortunate. Blessed is the one who perseveres. Makarios is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood that test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. We spend a great deal of emotional energy trying to figure out why we're going through the things that we're going through. And unfortunately, what that does is it actually takes us out of what we can get out of that experience. We want to shake our fist and ask God why when maybe the questions that we should be asking is what? God, what do you want me to learn in this season? What do you want me to see in this season? God, I, I, I need to know what you're trying to show me in this season. Because while God was not the cause of the persecution that the church, early church was going through, he, like, that was clearly like, crazy Roman emperors. Like when you read through the history, like Nero was a part of that and then Claudius and Caligula and like there are crazy things that are going on in the early church. Like evil is real in the world. Evil is being perpetrated on the people of God in the first century. It's also still happening today. The bad things that are happening in your life, like we want to know why, but the question that we might be better suited asking is what? God, what do you want for me in this season? How can I better trust you in this season? How can I put my faith 100% in you without an alternative plan, without a plan B? How can I put my hope in you without a plan B. And I think the really cool thing is that the answer to that question is in this. If any of you lack, that's, I don't, I'm not going to speak for you, but that's me. I lack. I lack the strength. I lack the wisdom. I lack the maturity. I lack the intelligence. I lack the the, the, the moral fortitude. I lack those things. And the beautiful thing is, is that Jesus, uh, or James tells us, if you lack, if you lack wisdom, if you lack 
the things that you need to walk through this and get through the other side with your faith intact, all you have to do is ask. And he'll give you his spirit. He'll pour out his wisdom. He'll pour out his, his, his truth. So this morning, my question is, what would it look like? I can only assume that some of you are going through really difficult things. You're going through really challenging things. You, you, some of you may have this week thought, I just want to quit. I want to be done. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm so sick of it. My challenge to you this morning is to ask. When you're going through those difficult things, when you're going through those difficult seasons, when you're with your back up against the wall and you have nowhere to go, ask. Ask God. Not to fix it, but to come and bring his wisdom, to bring his spirit into the situation to give you his spirit.